0: Alright, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, and we will be looking at a lot of the chapter uh, this morning. I <clears throat> hope you've had a good Easter so far, and, and hope the Lord blesses you. As soon as I finish today, I've got to get out of here. My family said they would wait till lunch till 2 o'clock, and if I wasn't home at 2, I would not eat. So anyway, as soon as we're through and stuff, but we're doing different today. If you under, notice, I'm up early. So they've got something afterwards, so once I get through, that we'll be doing. So keep that in mind as we get towards the end. And i got to get used to all of this around me. I, I, I kind of like this. I have no idea what's back there, but we'll see what happens. All right. We're going to talk today about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the impact and influence that it's to have. Now, I have a slide I wanted somebody to post up there, so if you would do that first one. There it is. There's the empty tomb. I was privileged and honored in 2016 to uh, get to go to Israel, and that is in a garden area. I really think that's probably the tomb. There's another location. Those of you who've been to Israel know it's at a church. This is in a garden location, and, and Golgotha is about 100, 150 yards away from it. and So I got to go inside, stand there, and do that. It's one of the most impactful moments of my life, just, I don't know for 100% certain, that's where Christ was buried, but I want to use a quote from what is considered by the Guinness Book of World Records as the most successful criminal attorney ever. His name was Lionel Lucko, and he said these, the bones of Muhammad are in Medina, the bones of Confucius are in Shantung, the cremated bones of Buddha are in Nepal, and thousands pay pilgrimage to worship at their tombs, which contains their bones. But in Jerusalem, the cave that is cut inside of the rock, this is a tomb of Jesus. It's empty, it's empty because he is risen. The remembrance of the resurrection is very important to each and every one of us. It's part of our salvation. You have to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Romans 10 is very clear about that. But I want to walk through who I think has the best insights of anyone about this. And it's because of who he is. It's the Apostle Paul. I can go to Josephus and I can learn about the events of the crucifixion of Christ from Josephus. I can read from Suetonius and he will tell me some of the a few facts of what happened during the Passions of Christ. Pliny the Younger also recorded the event. Uh, Tacitus also has records and writings that show this took place. There's a, a writer by the name of Marabar Saperon who also wrote about this. Lucian wrote about it in 125, and then the Babylonian Talmud also, along with 3,393 more little segments of secular writings that talk about what took place this day we don't give a lot of credibility we read those we look at them and everything else for a sermon someone picks sections of it so start with me in verse three and it says this if i deliver to you as a first importance what i also received that christ died for our sins according to scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures he appeared to cephas then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time. Most of whom remain until now, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to all the disciples. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Drop down to verse 50. Now I say this. That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed. Jump down to verse 58, which will be our verse for today. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Father, as we look at this today, speak to us in a very clear way about the impact that the resurrection should have on each and every one of us in this room who confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Help us to understand all that Paul is explaining to us here, and may it have an impact so when we sit down at lunch with our, our family and friends as we celebrate this day, we come away with a renewed sense of understanding and, and knowledge. And it may impact our heart and soul so that when we live our lives... One reason I like the Apostle Paul here at this point is, is that he's, he knew all the facts about the resurrection. Now, let's remember who's writing this chapter. Because I think that's what makes this so important. He was, he was a man who hated the thought that the resurrection was real. He hated this. He hated it with a passion that few of us in this room will even understand. It drove this young man to do one thing in his early part of his life, and that was destroy the church as it got started. He imprisoned men and women. He went all over the area, all over Israel, even into Syria, to make certain that anyone who confessed faith in Christ paid a price for it and even some were put to death because of his work of what he was doing I mean the passion which he hated this is unbelievable and this is a man who came to the point that changed him dramatically because on that road to Damascus he didn't realize that everything he'd been taught was built on a faulty foundation which means he was going to make a dramatic change within his life and for the longest nobody probably trusted this man very much about anything he had to say and you may not realize this but he didn't start ministry and preaching and going on mission trips for 14 to 17 years there was a long transformation time to get this man ready to do what he was going to do but as he writes to the church at corinth to explain the resurrection of the lord jesus christ he brings the details to it and so he said he wants you to know something the first person that jesus he references met with cephas and you know that is peter And I think there was probably a very unique reason for that because you know what Peter did on the night, on the Friday night when he denied Jesus Christ three times. had to be a long Saturday for Peter, a very long Saturday, heartbroken, dreams shattered, everything gone. And so on that Sunday morning after the tomb, he ran and found it empty. Somewhere along the way after that, Jesus appeared to, to Peter and had quite a conversation with him. When you go to Israel, you can get on the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum, and that's probably where they think that Peter was when Jesus found him a little bit later again and sat down with him and talked with him and asked the famous questions. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Because of the break in p- Peter's heart. But Jesus had told him that night in the upper room, I, will, I prayed for you, and you're going you're gonna to get sifted really bad. You're going to deny me, but you will not fall. And he's bringing him back. And so this man becomes one of the great leaders of that early church because he'd walked with Jesus, he'd seen the miracles of Jesus, he had saw it unfolded, he had denied him on that very important day, but now he knows something. He is alive. And Peter's not the same ever again. A man James is about to execute him the next day, he is sound asleep the night before his execution because he knew something. He knew Jesus was alive, Jesus had explained to him what was going to happen in his life, and he knew he was going to be okay. It transforms him, and he becomes one of the great men in, in history. And then he said this, he appeared to all the disciples. And we know that, first of all, he appeared to uh, not every single one of them because one was missing. Thomas was not there on that first appearance when he went there. So he appears to 10 of them, and he has that conversation with them. You ever wonder what it's like to be a disciple after everything they've experienced and seen, knowing he had been buried, and now he's standing right there in their midst? That would be the most stunning moment in their entire life to see this begin to unfold. And then it tells them that he one time appeared to over 500 people. So this wasn't limited to just one or two or three. There were a lot of people who saw Jesus after the resurrection, who saw him alive. In fact, when Paul writes the church at Corinth, he's writing about 20 years later. And he says most of those 500 are still here giving testimony of what they saw, what they heard. As John would say, what we touched, what we felt, what we saw, all of those kind of things. And then he said he appeared to James. I think that would be interesting. Who's James? It's his brother. Remember, he had some brothers. What did his brothers think of him before all of the crucifixion, resurrection stuff? Thought he was a little wacky. You know how some of you do that with your own brothers right now. You you know they're not quite all there. They didn't think he was all there. They even went to try to rescue him a couple times. But now, standing in front of him, the one that he shared a house with, that he may have played out in the backyard together, turns out to be the Son of God. Lord of lords, King of kings, standing in, in all the glory that comes with all of that. He then made another appearance to disciples, he says in our passage. If you'll bring up the next slide, then he did what? Is it up there? I don't see it, but you know the verse. Pope Peter's going to say this. Or excuse me, Paul's going to say this. I got to see him. Last of all, I got to see him. This man who hated it, saw Jesus. How? He doesn't explain in detail. Maybe it was at Damascus. I don't know. But he saw him. And he is never the same again. Do not underestimate the history of this. It's real. The empty tomb, I've got to stand at. Some of you have also. It's there, if that's the correct one. But he rose from the dead. And so Paul tells us that. Second thing is, he knew the significance of it. And he writes that in the church. In verse 14, if he said there's no resurrection, you're wasting your time being here today listening to some guy from Fort Worth come over here to preach. Because preaching is in vain. It has no value of any kind if the resurrection is not true. And your faith is wasted. It's in vain. It has no value of any kind if the resurrection is not true. And if the resurrection is not true, then you're still a slave to sin. You're still a part of all that goes wrong within this world. And you will face the complete and total judgment of God if the resurrection is not real. And Paul said this, if the resurrection is not will, r- real, then we the, who claim to be the people of God should be the most pitied people in all the world. Now I think most of the world sometimes looks at us that way and the intensity of the hatred that seems to be coming in our direction has intensified in the last 10 or 12 years. Because they don't believe in the resurrection, so they think we're foolish. But if the resurrection didn't happen, then we would deserve to be pitied. But Paul says in verse 20, He is alive, and he is reigning, and he stood on that particular truth. So here's what drives me. Here, I just gave you a couple of things about the historicity and some significance. But this is a man who so hated Christianity. You don't make this dramatic a change unless something, something dramatic happened within your life. And what this man goes on to do, you think you've had a tough life? You think you've had a difficult life? I doubt there's any of us in this room, any of us, could walk in his shoes. The suffering that this man went through because he held on to this truth is is one of the most amazing stories you can look at. I mean, go through. how 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 many times did he get the cat of nine tails? five, ten, the strongest of shape. His back would have had scars all over it. The reason I know this, I had a, a guy from India speak in my church many years ago in, in, at Village Parkway in San Antonio from India. And he was raised by a, uh, uh, his dad was kind of like, it was kind of a witch doctor. It was a little bit, it wasn't, it wasn't Islam and it wasn't Hinduism. It was some other religion they were part of. They worshiped the cobra, and so... In going, when he was born, they took him to the cobra. They put him down in front of the cobra. I could never be a part of that religion because I can't get close to the snake for any amount of money in the world. But they put him next to it. If the snake doesn't bother him, then he's blessed and all of that kind of stuff. And as they were getting up to walk, they tripped and they fell and they shattered his shoulder. That was a curse when that happened. And so they didn't take him to the doctor to have his shoulder healed. And so as a child, he was an outcast among his own people because he was cursed that day by the fall. The fall meant the gods had not accepted their sacrifice. But later on in his life, as a teenager, he came to Christ. And later on, he became one of the great preachers in India. And he was responsible for several towns and tribes who came to Christ. But he paid an unbelievable price for it. And he explained to us, getting beat up by field hockey sticks, to within an inch of his life. We'd spend weeks in the hospital afterwards. So we are in my office after he had preached, and I was asking a few more questions of the suffering in which he went through. And he said, Steve, and he pulled up his pant leg, and when he did, the most scarred legs I've ever seen in my life. He, he took off his coat and pulled up his shirt, and just scars everywhere. The Apostle Paul was that way. He got stoned one time, if you've ever watched that, I've seen that on a YouTube video one time. It's hard to even begin to watch a little few seconds of it, but he got stoned and left for dead. He got beat by what I would say like a baseball bat, Rods, three times in his life. Three times. And he doesn't quit. He keeps showing up every single day. How many times did he get beat up? Anybody remembers? It's in 2 Corinthians. He got beat up times without numbers. Have you ever been beat up at church? I mean, physically. You may have been verbally beat up, but I mean, physically, has anybody come up and just hauled off and slugged you? I mean, after church today, if you were out in the parking lot and somebody who sees you mad at you for some reason, they came up and hit you, are you coming back the next Sunday? You might not. I'm not going back to Ridgecrest. Man, those people are mean. When Paul got stoned, you know what he did after he recovered from the stoning? He went back to the very same place where they stoned him, and he preached in front of them. And there's a phrase in Acts 20. my point. When I come to the 15th chapter and the witness of Paul, I'm going to trust what he's got to say because you could not shake this man. And he stood on something because he knew something. And what he knew was that Jesus Christ is alive. And it impacted his life, and he is not going to change, and he's going to preach that to all the entire world. And he did that his entire life. Something dramatic took place on the road to Damascus, and he was never the same. Have you seen that truth? So I said earlier, Romans says this, if you confess through the mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. I'm here today to challenge you. This, this Easter is more than just a Sunday. This ought to impact what you do every single day. It should have the greatest impact on your life and how you live and your family, how you live in the community of Greenville, how you do when you're at work, how you do when you're at school. Because our whole hope is built on this. But I also want to remind you of something because this is Resurrection Sunday. So there's a major implication to the fact of Jesus' resurrection. Do you know what it is? We're all going to be resurrected. Every one of us in this room will be resurrected. In 1 Corinthians 15, For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. There's not a one of us in this room will not be brought to life on the day that Jesus Christ returns. If, he's a, if we're, some of us are still alive and that day happens, if it happens to be within our time frame on this earth, then we will be caught up together with others. You know the passages, you, know, you understand that. So as Adam's effect all died, the effect of Christ on this Sunday is all will be made alive. But I want you to listen to these words that Jesus said in John five. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb will hear my voice. And they will come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who committed evil to a resurrection of judgment. Good and bad, all will be resurrected. Some to walk into the kingdom of God, some to face the punishment and the judgment of God. That ought to impact your life. I told a story a couple weeks ago of my friend that's a professor and how he's having trouble with his students nowadays in college who are not prepared when it comes to their final exam. And they will blow their finals because they haven't looked at their studies the entire semester. And they'll finish their final exam with a score of 15 or 20 or 25. And then they will contact him by email afterwards and say, what are you gonna do, professor, to make this right? I'm graduating in this semester and I need... Well, you know, there comes, that's just a college course. You can recover from a college course if you're smart enough and disciplined enough to come back another semester and do it again. But there is coming a day when you and I are all going to stand before God and give an account of our life before the judgment seat of Christ. The separation of the sheep and the goats. My question, are you ready for that? It's a reality because of Jesus promising that this would take place. And he proved it by the fact of his resurrection. See, the final resurrection will happen in a split second on the last trumpet We're all going to be changed, imperishable, immortal. But here's the tragedy. Most will be raised imperishable, immortal for hell. Not a real popular subject nowadays within our our churches, but it's still in the scripture, and Jesus talked about it. It's a fiery hell. It's a total darkness. It's a fire and brimstone. It's eternal fire. It's a worm that does not die. Fire is not quenched, gnashing of teeth and weeping, the furnace of fire, the lake of fire for Satan and his angels. And Jesus told the story of the rich man in agony in the flames. I just did, Jesus quotes, I didn't do anything but what he had to say at that particular moment. Augustine said of this, where the unhappy are not permitted to die and when pain is inflicted without intermission to their soul. When you and I understand what happens if you do not know who Christ is, we ought to every day be getting up and going, my salvation is an amazing thing. I have been rescued, I have been given life, I have been given hope. I don't have to face the judgment of God. There's no condemnation, Romans 8 says, to those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't have to worry about all of this. My neighbor is 80 years of age next door to us. And she came across the other day and said, Preacher, I got a question for you. You know, in my life, this, this, this happened. Am I going to heaven 80s a little bit running late at that moment to get serious about that. Another neighbor had joined us, and she took over, and I let her finish. She just attends church somewhere, and she shared the gospel with our 80-year-old neighbor, and at the end, she says, I've done that. I said, then you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about anything. Not on my authority, but on the authority of the Word of God. You're okay if you've committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But So for many, that's the ending. But for some of us, For the few that narrows the way to eternal life, narrows the way. There's a resurrection of hope. Verse 54 says, death is swallowed up in victory. Verse 57, we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in that split second, in verse 52, the resurrected body and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ will happen to every one of us. And I am looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to the day that I can see mom and dad again. Lost my dad about a year ago, lost mom 15 years ago. I really want to see my dad's brother, William Thomas Branson. We called him Billy Tom. He was, should have been a C-section back in the 20s at the Catholic hospital, but they didn't do C-sections, so they used forceps on him. And when they did, they crushed his skull. And so he had the mentality of a 7- or 8-year-old for the rest of his life. Never could do one thing for himself. Only supposed to live a year or two or three. He lived 46 years. He was my buddy. If he had been with me, you could not have understood a word he said, but I knew we called it Billy Tommies. It was his language, and I'd learned his language. But I'll never forget, and I hold this. I did his funerals, the first funeral I ever did as a pastor. It was in 1977, June the 6th, so I still remember everything about it. But I told this story. We're at the kitchen table at my grandmother's house. And Bill would sit in the chair, his wheelchair next to me, and she would feed him. And right in the midst of that, and I wasn't anywhere near anybody thinking I'd ever do ministry, I had just come to Christ, so my life didn't give a lot of good examples about much of anything at that time. But he turned around and he looked at me and says, "Teeb, I had a dream last night. What was your dream, Bill? I dreamed I was in heaven and I was walking with Jesus. For somebody who never put a foot on the ground who had never been able to grasp anything with his hands. He had a little hope. As his younger mentality, he understood a simple truth, the promise of the rest. And he was baptized in a church, accepted Christ's childlike faith. And I honestly look forward to the day when that resurrection takes place and we are caught up together and we see our family and our friends and our fellow church members. And we are I don't know about you, but I'm going to look around and go, I can't believe I made it. I may look at some of you and say, "I can't believe you made it either." <laughs> but we did. None of us worthwhile of this, but all a gift from the Father in heaven has made that day possible. But I stop again. Paul used to have conversations. But there came a day when Felix left and was no longer there to have Paul, and they never finished that conversation. Always wonder what Felix is going to think on the resurrection day when he's standing there and he didn't make it, and knowing he had the great apostle sitting there explaining to him the simplicity of what it is to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, I ask you, are you truly a follower of Jesus this day? And if you are, you have the facts of the resurrection, but you also have the hope of the resurrection. Which leads me now to this. As believers, how now do we live? Because he is alive. That was a question in my mind as I stood at that empty tomb that day in November of 2016. What's the implications of this tomb being empty? Well, Paul tells us in verse 28. Now, I grew up in a Baptist church, and it seemed like as a kid growing up in a Baptist church, the only thing I ever heard preached were the rules. Don't drink, don't dance, don't smoke, don't gamble, don't do, chew, and don't go with girls that do. Good old Baptist rules. But I was missing it. I wasn't a believer. That's not what was being preached, but that's all I seem to hear. See, when you begin to understand who Jesus is, the rules aren't really that big a deal. What happens is you want to walk in a manner pleasing to him, and Paul tells us in the last verse of this chapter what that is. So when we walk out of here today on Resurrection Sunday, this is where you're supposed to live. And the first one found in verse 58 is this, to be steadfast and immovable. It says you become steadfast and immovable. It's an imperative command. It means settled down, feet planted solid, sit and stay. It's a settled position in life, immovable. You're not moving me off this. What type of steadfast and immovable are we supposed to do? Well, when you put on the full armor of Christ, no matter what you face in life, you stand firm. You stand firm in the great truth of who Jesus Christ is. Though the world may go a whole different direction than what we're going, I don't follow the world. I follow my Lord and Savior, and if I'm the only one doing it, I'm going to walk with Him. He's never let me down, and He never will let me down. And Scripture has called us to be that steady in life, never shaken by life. In a sense, we should handle all that comes our way. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean it's not tough. It doesn't mean it's not driving us to just really, can I get another day out of this? No, sometimes it's very difficult. But in the midst of that, we hold on. We don't let go. And I know the promise of God's Word that says, when I feel like I'm about to let go, Jesus said, my Father's hand will never let you go. He's got us, and he holds us. And so you and I are to be steadfast and immovable. We're the same at work, we're the same at home, we're the same at church, we're the same at school. People will ask me, some of you Friday met Jan. she was here laughing and joining people. Is there a different jan at home? I said, "No, this is a Jan I know at home. Now, when I'm home, I'm usually quiet, don't want to be bothered just kind of sit in my chair and read and stuff so I probably have a little bit of a two-sided thing there but she's just the same I see that I've seen that my whole life what you see is what I see I've always thought she's got this down and I'm the preacher but she's got it down I'm still trying to get there but there's a steadfastness we ought to be the same the safest people in the world ought to be those around you and your family because of steadfast and immovable means it's last week's sermon Anger doesn't have a control over you. Laziness does not have a control over you. Your mouth does not have a control over you. Your steadfast and removal will do that which is good and right. That's what we're called to do because he's alive. Paul was very clear when he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live any longer, but Christ lives in me. And when the Christ lives in you, you're like him. See, roads you can do at that particular point. It was that way in the day of Jesus. There were many people passing by. They were mocking him. The crowds were mocking him. The soldiers were mark, mark, m- mocking him. Uh, the religious leaders were mocking him. And the thieves, both thieves on the cross at the time, at first, were mocking him. And he just hangs there. And then he goes, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's one of the most stunning moments I've ever seen because most of us couldn't handle even two seconds of that kind of attack coming our way. But he just stood there trusting himself to the Father. Knowing that the Father would take care of him all the way through. The second thing you're to do now, because the resurrection is re- re- is real, is that you're to abound in the work of the Lord. There in verse 58. As I said last week, I say again this week: work is godliness. God wants us to work. It's never going to be easy because as Adam's fall led to making life difficult for all of us, but work is important. The greatest in the kingdom of God are the servants, and you and I will be doing good things. It's part of the new heart. It's part of the resurrected life, and Paul uses an adjective to describe this work, and it is abounding, which means over and above is what the word means. It means you go way above normal. You give more than anybody else gives. You go, well, I'm not getting anything in return. You're not supposed to do something because of what somebody gives you back in return. Most of the world says you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. For believers, we just serve. We just give. It's more blessed to give than to receive, Jesus said. And so we, we abound in doing that which is good. You might look, well I did a couple of good things this week, but are you abounding? Are you doing over and above? Are you stepping up what nobody else does? My son is struggling at work as a con- contractor. Some of the subs are doing really bad jobs nowadays. And they don't have a real understanding of what building a really six or $700,000 home should really look like. And they, they've disrespected him. He gets so upset. And he said the other day, I've just had enough. I'm just going to do enough to get by, and I'm not doing any more. I said, wrong. What do you mean, wrong? I said, because God called you to do your best, no matter what anybody else does. You make certain that when you finish your job, yeah, but what about, I said, don't worry about what about others. Do what God's called you to do. He'll take care of the rest, but you've got to stand before him and you've got to give your best. And then lastly, the third thing is, we're never frustrated by what happens in life. Knowing your toil is never in vain. What God has called you to do in life will never be in vain. You stay faithful. He's the one who makes things happen anyway. Anyway. The word knowing is perfect tense, which means you know it in the past, you know it today, you'll know it in the future. The privilege and honor to be able to serve the Lord and to be able to walk with Him because of the great gift which He's given us with the resurrection should lead you and I to just push forward in life and accomplish things that you and I can't even begin to imagine. Knowing that it's going to have an impact. You're going to leave a good impact if you walk with God. Do you believe in the resurrection? are you just here because it's Easter? Does your life demonstrate steadfastness? Abounding works? Confidence in God's will? Do you live as a a person of hope? That's what this Sunday is about. I'm going to go wrap down with this. The thief on the cross. It's an interesting story. I'd like to talk to him about that at the end. I bet that would be a fascinating conversation with a, when this thief shows up at the gates, I don't know if you can show up at the gates, but I'll do it this way, and the angel says, what are you doing here? Remember, he was cursing Jesus on the cross. He was a thief, deserves death. He looks at him again and he goes, You didn't go to Sunday school. You were never baptized. Church membership? You didn't have a church membership, never been in a church or a synagogue in his day. What are you doing here? And The thief probably looked at him and says, I don't know, but I'm here. I bet the angel was a little flustered about do I let him in or not, so he went and got a supervisor. Supervising angel shows up. He said, I need to ask you some questions. What is your understanding of the doctrine of justification by faith? And the thief would go, I've never even heard it. What's your understanding of the doctrine of scripture? He just gives him a blank stare. He doesn't know what he's even talking about. Finally, in exasperation, that angel would look at him and go, What are you doing here? And the thief would have looked at him and said, I don't know, but the man on the middle cross told me to come. That's why you and I are here at some time in life Jesus said, come. All who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. And so we gather this day to celebrate. Celebration's real because the tomb is empty and we have a living hope and we're going to live the life that God's called us to live until we're finished. I am going to be 70 soon. My health Issues are my mom's health issues. My mom was healthy as could be till the age of 70, and then suddenly got sick and was gone within two weeks. So, if I follow my mom, I'm down to six months. My wife said that better not happen. She wouldn't speak to me again if I do that to her. But I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to live to be 70. Or I'm going to live to be 90 like my dad. But this much I know. When Steve breathes his last and my eyes are closed, I'm resurrected erected into new heaven and new earth and we will be with him. I has not seen nor heard all that God has in store for us. But I will tell you on this Easter Sunday, whatever it is God has in store for us, it is good. Father, we thank you for this day and for the privilege and honor that you have given us at Ridgecrest to be able to study your word. To remind again of a few simple facts about the resurrection, a little bit of the significance of it. Also, the permanent results that come that either heaven or hell, depending on what we do with Jesus, and the call to how we are to live our lives with a steadfastness and a commitment to doing good and trusting you for results. So, Father, we want you to continue your work in us. We want you to be honored and glorified by all that we do and say and be with us as we continue our service this morning is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.